Blog Talk Radio. Today, here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host. Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Thanks, Scott. This is Mike Roth. I'm here today with John Turk Logan. Say hi to everyone, John. Hey, Mike. How you doing? Hello, everyone. Good. Thanks for joining us. Uh, before we get started, I thought I'd uh, announce to everyone uh, who the next couple of guests are going to be. Tomorrow, we're going to have Dave Bellows. Dave is a hard money lender, as he likes to call himself. Some people call him a factor. And Dave is one of our longest-term Sandler President's Club clients here in Cincinnati. I know that Dave was in Sandler training uh, in the early 1980s. And Dave has agreed to talk tomorrow about Sandler's methodology to handle prospects, stalls, and objections. It promises to be a really great show. Uh, If you want to call in during today's show or tomorrow's show, the call-in number is 646 Five nine five four nine one six, and David agreed. And Turk, you, you've agreed to take some calls today. If anyone calls, be more than happy. Okay, good. Next Thursday, a week from today, we're going to be talking to a a three-time Cincinnati entrepreneur, Trent McCracken. Trent is the CEO of a company called eHealth Solutions, and what his company does is they have a a computer medical device system that allows a doctor to talk into a uh, a headset and talk to the computer and tell the re- computer to record the results of the medical test as the medical test is going on, as opposed to having to dictate it from memory. Uh, and it interfaces directly with things like endoscopes or colonoscopies. I didn't saves personally a, demo it, but I, I did see the equipment. Saves on a lot of paperwork. Saves on a lot of paperwork, makes doctors more efficient, and that's just the first product he's got to talk about. And he's going to talk about some entre- entrepreneurship uh, issues. On Friday next week, we're going to have another President's Club member, black belt guy named uh, Phil Wiseman. Uh, he's been with Advanced uh, Calibration, but before that he had his own company, and he uh, grew the company using the Sandler Selling System and then sold the company, made a lot of money, and he's going to talk about how to grow sales and how he's done it and some of his ideas. Following week, uh, September 13th, we're going to have a, uh, a local advertising agency on. The owner is uh, Kelly Mahan, and Mahan Advertising is the name of her company. And she's going to have an interesting show with us. Following Friday, we have Frank Wood. Frank is a Ph.D. clinical therapist, and he's written a, a new program for us laymen on how to dress. Stress is a common part of our lives here in America today, and Frank's figured out a way to, to reduce it. following week, we're going to have Bill McGrain. 
He's a specialist in communications between people. I think I've got Bill to agree to talk about how to deal with difficult people. And Bill is also going to talk a little bit about some of the subjects in his book on how to communicate better by asking better questions, which kind of parallels Sandler a little bit. So I think asking better questions is, is something that we all need to learn about, and it helps business. And he's a local, locally-based uh, global company, so I thought it would be good to have him on. And we've got some more guests scheduled for later in September and October. And Turk, just to get started, why don't you give our audience a little bit of your background? Well, I'm a, a 43-year veteran in broadcasting. Been doing this since 1970. I'm former general manager of the Cosby Center for Mass Communication, as in Camille O. and William H. Cosby, Dr. Cosby. I was there from 
And I and you knew Morse code too. Oh yeah, you had to um, take a thousand test examination and get at least a hundred of them right. Mm-hmm. So I had passed my my test. Didn't have a job, but I got my third class license. And I'm standing in the arcade in downtown Dayton. And back then, books were not shrink wrapped. And I'm looking at the centerfold of a Playboy magazine, and I tease my kids about that. And a young lady from the Dayton paper came up to me. She said, excuse me, sir, what turns you on? And I started laughing. And I looked at her with a photographer, and I said, radio and television broadcasting. But there you're, you're holding on to a Playboy I'm, magazine. I'm, I'm holding on to this Playboy magazine. A this couple, might become our highest rated show. <laughs> well, a couple weeks later, 19... Late 1969, early 1970, an article came out in the Dayton Daily News. John Logan um, just got his third-class license, looking for a job in radio, hopes to work with James Brown, yada, yada, yada. And WDAO, a big 50,000-watt FM station, called me up and offered me a job in sales. In sales? In sales. I was going to be a, a, an account exec. So that kind of tickles your fancy right there, Mike. Sure. A, a guy with an engineering license to operate a radio station yeah, gets to sell. Exactly. And so I talked to the family, talked to the wife, and um, they all said, stay at Frigidaire, retire after 30 years, you don't have a background in broadcasting and all that good stuff. And I ignored everything they said, and I took the job in sales. Well, after about 11 weeks, I fell flat on my face. I just really didn't have a heart at that time. I was only like 19 or 20 years old. It's a little young. Yeah, I didn't have a heart for sales. I wanted to be on the air, and I had my third-class license. And the program director, Gene Berry, had left. Mm -hmm. The program director, a guy by the name of Clay Collins, said, well, i got a part-time job for you in the all-night show. It pays $50 a week. Are you interested? Typical radio pay. Yeah, so... My career went from Frigidaire six seven hundred dollars a week to one hundred and twenty five dollars a week in sales plus commission to fifty dollars a week in less than three months. <laughs> so you know what my family was saying? Well, we told you so. But I hung in there. Mm-hmm. I did the all night show for about a year and a half, and um, got got kind of familiar with the, the the format and the board. And I was on from one a.m. to five a.m. and uh, had a great time there. And one day the program director says, we, we need a guy to come in and do middays. And so I started doing from 10 to 3, 10 in the morning to 3 in the afternoon. Got a little raise. I went mm-hmm. from $50 a week to 125 And after about a year in middays. You got into big money. Well, better money. The that was the afternoon drive person left. Yeah, the afternoon drive person left. Oh. Okay. And that was, the, that was the key shift. That was the prime shift. And they moved me in there from 1 p.m. to 5 in the evening. Mm-hmm. And I was there for the remainder of my time. And now I'm making, took me about a year and a half, now I'm making decent money to support myself. In uh, 1975, I was offered a position at WDAO. Now remember, this is a big 50,000-watt FM station as music director. And that was, that was a, a good growth move for, for a guy coming with no prior experience. And I was responsible for managing all the music at WDAO. In 1976, I was offered the position as program director. So now I'm in charge of the radio station. I got a 15-member staff, and I'm in charge of ratings. It's my responsibility to keep the ratings up. And one of the things that I wanted to do would be heavily involved in the community. 
Mm-hmm. And without going into a lot of detail beside music, we had like some 15 programs like this program, aside from our music program during the course of a week. And one day, growing up with a lot of the guys in the neighborhood, I noticed that a lot of the black musicians had product, but they couldn't get records played because the big radio stations in Dayton told them, you don't have record deals, Mm -hmm. and you're not on Billboard's Top 100, so we can't play your music. Sit down with my managers, station manager, general manager, and the, the owner of the station, back then, you can talk to the owner of the station. You can't do it now because it's all conglomerate corporations. Well, it's hard to find the guy who can actually it, make a decision. Exactly. And told him, I thought that these artists that I'm talking about have a lot of potential. Let's try it. We're talking groups like the Ohio Players and Heat Wave and Lakeside and Roger and Zap and Sun and Dayton Fifteen major black recording groups came out of Dayton, Ohio during the 70s. All had gold and platinum records. Mm-hmm. The record labels were spending money at WDAO to promote their artists because mm-hmm. I helped most of them get record deals. So we went from, oh, six or $700,000 a year in gross revenue and sales to $5 million over a period of time. And so... Um, had a great time there with the art. It, it got too good because most of the guys that were in their 20s back then were millionaires, black millionaires in their 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, and so most of them thought, the management thought that I was associated with them, which I wouldn't. We just grew up together. We went to high school. We went to grade school together. We, we, you know, They were musicians, and I was a DJ. Okay, so you knew them. Yeah, knew them. And so um, after... A short period of time, I'll never forget, um, I did a talk show on Sunday called Backpage. Mm-hmm. And as the program director, it was my responsibility um, to to do the talk show. When we come back, Mike, I'll, I'll go into that because it's an interesting story. Good. We'll come back to that story. And uh, we're going to take a commercial break. And if you want to ask uh, uh, John Turk Logan a question, again, the number is 646. Five nine five four nine one six, and let's uh, listen to a Sandler commercial. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. At the first sign of trouble, there are three types of business leader. The first type of leader is like a turtle; he pulls his head and tail in and hides in his shell. Turtles hunker down, just trying to survive. The second type of leader is an opportunist; they're like eagles. Eagles spread their wings and take advantage of the winds. They catch the storm wind and rise to new heights. The third group, between turtles and eagles, are called turkeys. Turkeys are average and anxious. They huddle together and move. They never soar. However, turkeys are easy prey for those who seize the opportunity and soar. If someone in your industry goes out of business, are you going to get the business? The question is, which type of leader are you? Will you seize the opportunities to take market share and grow, or will your fate be like the turkeys. If you're serious about growth, call me to arrange a confidential meeting, 513-646-6523, or check our website at rothconsulting.net. This message is short and to the point. In business, you don't get paid for what you know, you get paid for what you sell. Yet many salespeople leave their skills to chance. They often think, let me think it over. 
They write proposals that go nowhere. They lower their price to get the order. They wind up chasing prospects through the voicemail maze. It doesn't have to be that way. The best salespeople were not born great. They learned it. I'm Mike Roth of Roth & Associates. We're famous for our expensive, difficult sales training. We're not for everyone. We build the best sales prospectors and sales negotiators on the planet. Are you in sales? Are you ready to get deadly serious about your career that feeds your family? Are you ready to make a change? Call me, Mike Roth, at 513-646-6523. Sandler's most experienced trainer in Cincinnati, 646-6523. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with uh, Turk Logan. Turk, let's let's pick up again on that story because it was really interesting. As the program director, it was my responsibility to come on this talk show that was on on Sunday from 9 p.m. to 11 p.m to talk about programming changes and things that I would be thinking about making, changes I would be thinking about making. And I received a call during that week from the governor of the state of Florida, and his name happened to be Ronald Reagan. It was in 1980. And he was running for president. He was challenging Jimmy Carter. No, you mean the governor of California. Yeah, Ronald Reagan, the governor of California. Yeah, you said Florida. Oh, I'm sorry. You threw me off there. All right, governor of California, I'm sorry. Um. I was a little apprehensive to bring him on, but I did. And Ronald Reagan came on my talk show by phone from mm-hmm. California. Right. And he was very personable. He was very um, astute. Um, he told me what he had done for minorities because we were a minority radio station in the state of California and what he would do if he became president. And if you recall, he beat Jimmy Carter in 1980 and became president of Absolutely. the United States. In 1984, I ran for office, and he came into Dayton, Ohio, and started his whistle-stop tour, and he remembered me from 1980. And it was kind of acute because I was sitting behind him at the courthouse square in Dayton, Ohio, and he leaned back to me and said, Mr. Logan, um, what do you think about this election? I said, well, Mr. President, I'm the only black candidate, but I'm going to give it 100%. He said, what do you think about me? I've been shot already. And I'm like, well, I said, well, I guess it could always be worse, you know. But that was my political experience. I left WDAO in 1983 mm-hmm. with the highest ratings in the history of broadcasting, a 25 share of the market, 52 golden platinum albums, and a legacy. I, like I said, ran for office, and then I started my school, the Academy of Broadcasting, which is now an online broadcasting school. In 1986, I was asked by the then president, Dr. Arthur E. Thomas, to come to Central State. He had a $2.5 million grant from the state of Ohio to renovate an old school building. And on, in that school building was a radio station called WCSU, W Central State University. Mm-hmm. Now, remember, I'm coming from a 50,000-watt FM station with a three-state coverage. That's okay. pretty good, Pretty good, 50,000 watts. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty good. How many watts did you have at Central State? 250. <laughs> 250. Not 250,000, 250, and the station was off the air. I walked into this old-school building where the heat didn't work in the wintertime and the air didn't work in the summertime, and but it was radio. I went back to the transmitter room, turned the transmitter on, went to the studio, put a record on the turntable, and we were back on the air. Shortly after that, the FCC, which had been filed 17 years prior to the time I got there, mm-hmm. gave WCSU a power increase from 250 
to 1,000 watts, and that's where it is today some 26, 27 years later. Uh, so it's hard to get a, a band position in FM today in this, in this oh, neighborhood. It, it was hard 25 years ago. Yeah. And so, but it was radio, mm -hmm. and I loved it. And my mission at Central State was to train African-American students that majored in the field of communications, broadcast, and radio communication. And um, I had, during that tenure, some of the greatest times at Central State. I'll use a young lady that you might be familiar with. If you remember Donald Trump, the apprentice, Sure. the black female Omarosa. Omarosa, I remember her. One of my children. She calls me dad. Oh, really? Yes. I taught her all her communication skills. She has a master's degree from Howard University. She worked in the White House under the Clinton-Gore administration, and she lives in Hollywood now. She's extremely successful. She's a very bright young young lady. And the beautiful thing about the kids from Central State, many of them came from nothing. Omarosa came from Youngstown, a very poor area of the projects. So they didn't come with a silver spoon. They came from nothing. And when I um, – I guess I haven't told you this, but when I was in college, I worked in New York City's we had a work-study program. Actually, I did it for a year after I got out of college. We placed uh, students in work-study programs in the city of New York agencies. And Central State and Wright State were two of my favorite places to get people from. Excellent. Well, then you were probably doing doing that when I was there from 1986 to 2009. Oh, was it a I'm a little years? older than yeah, that. Well, oh, well. Great university, and during that time in Central State, from we Man never had complaints. We would send them to the uh, law department. Oh yeah, um, and you know some some great youngsters. You know it's it's like the the they had, they had mental capability. They could think, and, and 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 they would work. And you know, I just wanted to place someone in an agency that was good for the good for the kids and the students, and good for the agencies. Well, during that time, Mike, as I'm sure you remember, I don't know if you had experienced it, but I did, hip-hop and rap music, the genre was starting to come in. And I had taken a position at WDAO that I would not play music with blatant sex, drugs, and profanity. Mm -hmm. And I carried that to WCSU-FM radio. And during that time, hip-hop was starting and rap music was starting to make the transition. Uh, some of the lyric content was just a little um, shaky. And so I banned rap music at WCSU completely, all rap music, any type of rap music. And so naturally I was the bad guy. And so the students during that time, up until about the last five years before I retired, um, they wrote the governor, they wrote the board of trustees, they wrote um, the presidents, and I worked for four presidents during that tenure at Central State. But it ne I never wavered. But th that might be the reason you wrote this book, your it, book called uh, Rap Ritual and Reality. Violent Music Makes Violent Kids. That's exactly right. In 1993... Some of you may not have read the book. Is it How, how is it available? Uh, it's available with BarnesandNoble.com. BarnesandNoble.com? Yeah, it's available. It came out about uh, 10, 12 years ago. Yes. It's a really nice-looking book, about 160 pages. And, and it talks about, it's a good book that every parent and every every student should pick up and, and, and read because there's a lot of information in there about the effects psychologically 
that music has on the subconscious of the human mind. Um, in 1993, when I came to Central State in 86, I had no degree. Mm -hmm. A degree was not a prerequisite for me because I was hired by the president. I had almost 20 years of broadcast experience, but I'm working on a college campus. Right. And so I shopped around for a program that I thought would fit me. And mm -hmm. I found a program here in Cincinnati at the Union Institute and University, a Ph.D. program. Down on Macmillan. On Macmillan. Right. I applied in 1993, mm -hmm. and I sent them a letter of request and what I wanted to work on for my doctorate. And they replied back, said, we, we're not quite sure about what it is that you want to work on, because I wanted to work on a thing called the Internet which hadn't come into effect yet. I wanted to work on a thing called uh, the FCC rules and regulations. And I wanted to write this book about violent music making violent kids. So I got in my car and I drove down to, down here to Cincinnati, or, mm -hmm. um, met with the board, explained to them what I wanted to work on, and a, doc, a, a Ph.D. by the name of Dr. Sherry Penn, who I happen to be an alumni board member with today, said, I'm going to recommend you for the program. So I started to work on my doctorate in 1993 and graduated with an earned Ph.D. in mass communication and popular culture in September of 1997, which I'm very proud of. Today, I am the communication person for the International Alumni Board for the Union Institute and University, and I'm just proud because they gave me an opportunity to go back to school and work on a degree. So I went from Turk Logan to Dr. Logan. And okay. that was quite a transition for those at Central State University. They're like, how did you do that? And so one of the things that I did was I took my dissertation and I wrote a book about it. Mm -hmm. And I published the book about my findings. And that's the book? That's the book. Fantastic. And so, Have you written any other books? Yes, I've written seven books, as a matter of fact. Seven books. Seven books. One of my books, my first book that I wrote was my autobiography, was The Reality of a Fantasy. I felt I had a story to tell about my experience at WDAO, which was quite an experience, working with the musicians and, and working with the management people there and, and working with the community and creating talk shows and, and things of this nature. And it was quite a quite an experience. It's called The Reality of a Fantasy. You know, I had this dream in my head, and everything that I thought I could do, including the gold records that I have on the wall, became a reality. So explain to me how you, you're not an artist, wind up with a gold record. Because I thought like Elvis Presley, who sells a million copies of a single, gets a single gold record or gets a platinum gold record, or he gets a gold LP, you know, and I've been down to Graceland, and I've seen literally thousands of sure. uh, gold records. Right. How does a broadcaster get a gold record? Man, I, I'm so glad you asked me that because that's very important. Well, one of the things that people don't understand is there's a difference between hearing music and listening to it. Okay, We might hear something going on, but we don't really listen to it. I listen to the music. And I can pick what is going to be gold, and I can pick what's going to be platinum. And I had major successes, like I said, 52 gold and platinum records. So I would call the record label and say, this is my pick. Mm -hmm. They would start to promote that and push that. And 52 of them became gold and platinum. And so as a tribute to me, and I tell my students, I say, I don't dance, I don't sing, I don't write music, I don't read music, but I got 52 gold and platinum albums. How did I get it? 
I listened to it, and I could tell by the production, um, the way it was uh, made, the um, the music, content, everything of that nature, that this was going to be a big hit. Hits like the OJs and For the Love of Money. Hits like Earth, Wind, and Fire. Hits like the Ohio Players and Fire. Um, and on, hits like uh, Heat Wave, Always and Forever. I picked those as gold and, and gold records. I'm surprised a guy like Barry Gordy didn't pick you up in a minute and say, you're moving to L.A. with me. Well, he, he did. Huh? I used, I used to go to Motown, mm-hmm. and Barry would let me come up in the studio and watch Dana Ross and Smokey Robinson and The Temptations. You know, and it was an interesting story because when you entered the lobby in Motown, there was a young lady sitting at a desk about as high as the ceiling of your door. Mm-hmm. So you had to look up to her, and you have to announce who you are. And she would hit a buzzer, and then you go on the elevator. And when I went on the elevator, there are these four musicians that just ran on with me. So she didn't hit going up. She hit another buzzer, and this monster came out from nowhere. He must have been 6'9", 400 pounds. And he grabbed these four musicians, two in each arm, and picked them up and just carried them off the elevator. And then they let me go on upstairs. <laughs> but Barry was So very, they had a bouncer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Barry, was, Barry was very kind to me. Um, Smokey was a beautiful person. Because uh, you never could get close to Diana Ross because she was a diva. And they hadn't signed Michael Jackson. And the Temptations were popular then. The Four Tops were popular. So, yeah, I had um, a relationship with Motown in Detroit before they moved to um, L.A. And, of course, Barry sold that to um, the record label for $200 million. And that enticed him to move to L.A. And that was a little out of my reach, even though... You know, it's funny because I ran into Barry Okay, uh, when... I was in L.A. working for IBM. Okay. Great guy. Very personable. Um, he also, too, was not a musician per se, but he had ears to hear talent. He heard it. Yeah. yeah. That's the same thing that I said. And that was our relationship. So, yeah, I did get a chance to spend some time with uh, uh, with Motown. Good. Let's take a, a short commercial break. And if you have any uh, questions for uh, Turk, uh, again, the number is 646-595-4900. One six. We're going to listen to a Sandler rule. Hi, I'm Bob Sinton of Sandler Training. I'm here today to talk to you about rule number 14. A prospect who is listening is no prospect at all. You may have heard this before, but Dave Sandler told me a long time ago that you should follow the rule called 70-30 rule, where the client talks or the prospect talks 70% of the time, and you, the salesperson, talk 30% of the time. Most salespeople I run into in my 30 years of doing this understand that. The problem with it is how do you go about doing it? Well, most, if not all, salespeople know their features and benefits and the, uh, the power of what their company can provide clients. Um, so it's easy for them to uh, explain their features and benefits to a client. The problem with that is it doesn't necessarily elicit responses from a client. So what we have to train ourselves to do to be more successful and more professional is take your features and benefits and phrase it and structure it in such a way where it actually elicits a conversational response from your client. For example, a feature and benefit your company may, may uh, include uh, you can reduce expenses and, and save them some overhead and, and save your clients some money in the uh, long term or short term. Well, a lot of people can say that. That's on your website. It's on your brochure. A more effective way is to say, hey, Ed, can I ask you a question? 
Uh, what we've done with companies and individuals like yourself is help save them money with some software that helps them reduce expenses, uh, get rid of waste, and adds more money to their bottom line. Uh, do you have anything like that happening here? And if so, can you tell me a little bit about it? Um, what that question does is it obviously elicits initially a yes or no response, but then it quickly goes down the tunnel of what I like calling a conversational uh, dialogue, if you will, between salesperson and client, and you find yourself talking only 30% of the time, and the client ends up talking 70% of the time, and that creates a, a more of a win-win relationship. And that's Sandler rule number 14, a prospect who is listening is no prospect at all. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Dr. John Turk Logan. Turk, let me hit the fast forward key. Okay. And why don't you tell the folks about what you're currently doing after you left Central State? Well, let, let, let me say this in retrospect because your your audience this can relate to this. One of my dear friends in the music business was James Brown. Mm -hmm. And he had a, a studio that he recorded here in Cincinnati called King Recording Studio. Mm -hmm. And those of us in broadcasting could never take money from artists because it was called payola. So what he would do for me, one day he called me up from New York. He said, Turk, what time did, did you get my latest record? And I said, no, Mr. Brown. And he'd like to be called Mr. Brown. I said, no, I didn't. He said, what time do you get off the air? I said, 5 o'clock. He said, meet me at the airport. So I get my little girlfriend at the time and another couple. We run out to the airport and come to find out I'm in the wrong place because I'm on the commercial side and James Brown has his own had his own Learjet. Mm -hmm. So I go over to the um, private side and know James Brown. So about 9:30 we get home and you know get rested and everything. And my 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 people tell me that they thought I was playing a game and the phone rang. He said, Turk, where are you at? I said, I'm at home. He said, we're here waiting on you. I get back in my car by myself. I drive all the way back out to the airport, and here this beautiful Learjet is sitting out there on the runway. He said, here's my record. Come on, let's go. And I said, where are you going? Where are we going? He said, don't make any difference. It cost me $5,000 to get this plane in the air, and I'm going to take you for a ride. <laughs> I get in this Learjet and have JB on the side. I get in this Learjet. He brings out the cognac. He's got two Arab pilots, and it's just the four of us. I don't know where we went. It's 11, 12 o'clock at night. We flew around <laughs> somewhere. We landed about 4 in the morning. Of course, nobody believed me when I got back the next day that I had um, spent some time with James Brown. But when he would come in the area, uh, in the Cincinnati, he would always send a limousine down for me because I played all his product. And I would go in the studio with him, and he was a master craftsman in the studio. He was a master craftsman. I thought your audience might might enjoy that. But when I left Central State in 2009, um, I had broadcast three national championship football games, of which two ring, two championship rings I have for being in the press box. WCSU was station of the year in 1994. Uh, Remember, it was a public station. It was not a commercial station. So you couldn't generate commercial dollars, but you could accept underwriting. And so we had a format that I had designed in 1986 called Urban Jazz, and that format was very, very popular and still popular today. And we 
had in gross revenue from the Corporation of Public Broadcasting grant money somewhere in the neighborhood of $300,000 a year. I used to make make jokes because when the university did their budget for all the divisions, my budget, and this is a true story, Mike, my budget was $300 a year. That's all the university gave me, $300. $300. $300 for the whole year. Yeah, but you got 300000 I got 300000 So I never even went to the budget meetings, I mean, for, for $300. And when I left WCSU in, 19, uh, in 2009, they were solvent. Mm-hmm. The ratings were good. Students were being trained in place, and so I left them in a good position. And it's still a thousand watt FM station. Still a thousand watt FM. I'm back up there now, as a matter of fact, doing an internship. Three kids are doing internships with WTRK, and uh, they've designed their own radio station. And I'm back up there volunteering for the next couple weeks now. Well, why don't you tell everyone what WTRK is? Well, one of my dreams was to own my own radio station. Mm-hmm. But when I retired, I retired. I was in my early 60s. And to, to to even try to think about financing an FM radio station, you're talking $12, 15000000 million easily, you know, even in this, these two markets, Dayton and Cincinnati, somewhere way, way out of my reach. One of my students who is in a big market in Detroit said, Doc, why don't you think about doing Internet radio? Mm-hmm. And I looked into it, and I found that it was, very, very inexpensive for managing a computer, a control board similar to what we have here in your studio. Um, I had the songs because I was a collector, so I had like 10,000 CDs. So you had the library. So I had the library. That's and, a big and, you know, piece. That was, that's a major piece because at 99 cents a tune, that's $10,000 right there. And so I was able to put all this together in July of 2010. And form my name is my nickname is Turk because I was born on Thanksgiving Day. My grandmother stuck that one on me a few years ago, and so I named it WTRK. Um, and we formed WTRK um, in July of 2010. Today, WTRK has pretty close to 10,000 listeners. We're on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're very proud to have Cincinnati Business Talk on WTRK, which runs Thursday and Friday at 8 a.m. Uh, every every week. I'm very honored and proud to have that. It's a great show. I'm glad to um, have you part of our family. Oh, it's, it, 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 it gives me some diversity for a music program. And I see great things. Uh, you know, I tell people I've had success at WDAO, but it wasn't mine. Mm-hmm. I had success at WCSU, but it wasn't mine. Yeah, it was a public college yeah, station. Co- college station. You know, you can only take it so far. WTRK is what I make it, and I'm having the best time with my own radio station, doing my own thing the way I see it, mm-hmm. and uh, and I'm and I and I'm seeing the rewards, not necessarily financially because I've only been in business for a couple years, but that's going to come. Are you still picking uh, up and coming artists? I still pick up-and-coming artists. I still expose artists to the airways. My position on rap music is still the same. I pay very, very, if I play uh, 100 songs, maybe one might be a, a positive rap song. You know, my demographics uh, are 25 to 49, and people listen to it, and we're doing extremely well in in the market. Yeah, now, you're an aficionado of rap, yeah. 
Okay. So, what I think I'm going to do. <laughs> you got a rap song. I got a rap song. Okay. Okay, now. Let's listen I'm, to it. This is a rap song that we put together for Sandler Training. Okay. A few years ago by uh, some of my uh, Canadian brethren. So, it. It's a Canadian rap song. Okay. You know, you don't get too many of those. No. With the accents and everything. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Let's see if we can find it. There it is. It's called the Sandler Rap. Okay. This is just kind of on the fly, folks. We didn't uh we didn't plan to run it. Let's see what it Salesmen are all the same. You don't care about my needs. You don't care about my pain. You think about yourself. You think it's all a game. You don't ask my opinion. You don't even know my name. Salespeople come and then they're gone. They don't care about them and they ain't there long. Just ask for the info and get the price now. Check the competition. The better anyhow. These guys are all talk, talk, talk. It's a lie. They don't say nothing but I, me, mine. They sticky and they're selfish and they in my face. Soon as I get rid of the one, more will take its place. They manipulate, trap, con, and control. They don't know I'm the master of my soul. I have them run around till they dazed and confused. They shop it to others. I won't be abused. But wait, what's this? Another sales joke. Did he just give me permission to say no? Don't know what to think and I don't know what to say. What's the deal with this guy? It's not the sales way. Guess he hasn't learned how to play the sales game. Not too bright. He's probably not to blame. The boss sent him out without the first clue. I'll try to help him out and show him what to do. Now he has some questions. Wait for me to tell All about my world, my own private hell They don't seem to care if I leave or buy I don't know what to think of weird sales guys I'm talking and I'm talking, I can't believe my ears I'm telling this guy my big bad fears I'm telling them things that I don't even know I'm letting down my guard and I'm putting on a show Can you help me please take the lead Can't you hear I'm hurting, see me bleed I'm ready to go, move on, proceed did he just say it might not be what I need? Well, I'll show him. I just gotta have his stuff. Don't care what it costs or if it's tough. I'm ready to sign. Just show me how. Did he just ask what I wanna do now? So I close the deal and feel real good. Gonna tell this guy about my brothers in the hood. Never ever send another salesman down my line. Gotta have my man, my advisor every time. Well, that is the Sandler rap. Well, you know, Mike, many of the... Rap artists are so talented. They're extremely talented. Jay-Z, um, Dr. Dre, LL Cool J, and they have gone on to do many, many other things. I was just reading um, a few days ago where Dr. Dre's headphones made him $100 million last year. He's, he designed some headphones. Oh, really? Okay, so okay. a lot of these kids have gone on in the other thing. The thing that I, that, that, that I wouldn't care what artist and who it was. It could be the biggest record in the world. If you get into blatant sex, drugs, and profanity in your music, mm-hmm. I won't touch it. And and, and well, so no, none of that. No, none of that in, 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 none of that in yours. That's what I'm saying. So it's not a question of the artist per se or the rap artist. The kids got a little confused because they said Dr. Logan don't like rap music. That was not the case. If your music's talked about the N-word, the B-word, and degrading people and, and all that negative stuff, I wouldn't touch it. And I literally, when I was at Central State, almost had to be forced to play the music. I literally had to go into the studio, 
take the needle off the record and break the record in front of the student because they had just brought it in in their book bag and put it on the turntable, and they were going to force me to play it to demonstrate to them how serious I was. That, that's how serious it got. And so, um, but, but I did win with them because those that have been out of school for 10, 15 years and have families now, when they come back to homecoming, they say, Doctor, we understand now. And I would tell them, it's just a process that you go through. And when you were a freshman, that's what you believed in. Now that you're a mommy and daddy, you understand what I'm talking about. We get older so, and more mature. We get, they actually exactly, get smaller. Exactly, exactly. So a great time at, at Central State. Taught at Wilberforce right across the street mm-hmm. for 18 years. Taught communications and English there. Um, had a good time with the youngsters there. Now, you know, it's Logan Communications, WTRK. Um, we own a publishing company, which we have contracts with Barnes & Noble. Um, we have movie scripts out there also. One is being looked at by the Cincinnati Film Commission as we speak. Um, Christian Irwin over at the Cincinnati Film Commission, I sent her one called The Dayton Sound. It's how all the artists evolved out of Dayton and became big artists. Somebody had to start those kids music, and that somebody was me. So that, t- that type of a script uh, with the Cincinnati Film Commission, how would that get produced into a movie? Well, what I, you know, I, they don't do that per se. That's sure. not what they do. And, and she made that very clear to me. She said, but I might know somebody, mm. a producer or director, I mean, I'm sure they would in that type of business, that might be interested. And so I sent it to Christian. Christian Irwin is her name. She's the director of the Cincinnati Film Commission. And she was very cordial. Um, she read one. I sent her two because I got two different versions. I sent her two. And waiting for some feedback from her. I don't expect her to go out and get me a deal. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll I'll get the deal. But I'm hoping that she might point me in the right direction to say these people might be interested. Because remember, I'm in Xenia, Ohio, and even Cincinnati, Ohio, still a relatively small market as compared to Hollywood and New York and some of the major markets. We've had several clients who wanted to be scriptwriters, and I lived in L.A. for 15 years and you know worked with the William Morris Agency, as, right. as you know. The uh, interesting uh, scenarios, I, I told everyone, they wanted to be a scriptwriter, move to L.A. or New York. Exactly. You, you can't make it here. No, you can't. And actually, one of my clients did. And today, he's working over at MTV as a associate producer during the day. And at night, he's perfecting his scripts. And he's in Hollywood, so he can actually pitch his scripts. So one day, yeah. one of his stories is going to get produced into a movie. Because you have to be in the right place at the, at the right time. Well, you have to take enough at-bats. Exactly. You know, from here, he could fly to L.A., Right. And and do one pitch, right. and then it's over if that's not a not a grand slam. Or either have an agent or an attorney to walk you into it, which is they're going to want twenty five thousand dollars on the front end just to even look at it. And you know who has that type of money, right? For for you know roll of the dice. One of the things that happened to me when I was in Dayton Radio as a thank you for all the big hits because it wasn't just Dayton groups; it mm-hmm. was all the groups with. And then it was CBS Records. I got a call one day from the vice president of CBS Records in New York. He said, hey, Turk, how would you like to go to London? And I said, London where? He said, London, England, man. He said, I said, what about payola? He said, you're not going to see any money. So go back and ask your general manager if you could go. So I went and talked to the boss. He said, well, Turk, if you got vacation time, go ahead and go. Flew into Chicago mm-hmm. because you can go to Chicago and get your passport in four hours. Came back the next week. 
I'm on a plane, British Airways, up, up and away to London, England for the CBS Record Convention. Wow. Six days all expense paid trip to London, England. And man, that, and this was 19, July 1977. I would never forget. They showed us the best time. Bruce Lundvall was the president of CBS. Now it's Sony. Mm-hmm. They sold um, CBS to Sony for $80 million. How much you think it's worth now? Probably about $80 billion right now, know. I would say. But well, it's, it's hard to it's hard to value, sir. Yeah, it's hard to value because you know they 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 they've taken a dip, but that was how they rewarded the jocks and the programmers back then. Uh, I stayed at the London Hilton. I opened up my curtains, and there was Buckingham Palace, and I mean it was just a great time. And one of the Dayton groups, Heat Wave, was living in London, England, because Johnny Wilder was in um, the military. Mm-hmm. And he had formed a group with Rod Temperton, who wrote for Michael Jackson and George Benson, a lot of big artists. And they formed a group called Heat Wave. Heat Wave was just signed by CBS back in the um, late 70s. And their first record went, the first album went double platinum. And I played that first album and have the platinum songs that Johnny Wilder sang back then. So, you know, it was a, it was been a great journey, 43 years in the business, um, and ticking. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, Let me ask you a tough question. I always like to get this question in. Yeah. You know, we have a belief here that uh, simple solutions to complex problems are rarely correct. So maybe you could share with our listening audience a complex problem that you've encountered in your career and an equally complex solution that you you apply to it. From a theory of operation, someone else could apply that so type of solution to a, a problem or an issue in their business. Well, one of the things, being in black radio, you don't really get a fair share of the general market. And so, unfortunately, and, and, and you would have to be in that business to see that. You know, when the ratings come out, mm-hmm. you get four or five share of the market, where the big stations get eight, ten, twelve. Well, you know, the ratings, the agencies buy the numbers. Mm-hmm. And so we, back in the 70s, had to challenge the rating system to say, look, and, 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 and if, you, if you stop and think, and again, you may or may not experience, they send diaries out. And black people would take the diaries and throw them <laughs> Trash. They thought they would be well, the final. To the listener sample. Exactly. They would send out a listening diary. Exactly. What, what? And those were, that was our lifeblood. So we would encourage them on the radio, if you receive a diary, please fill it out and send it back in because this is going to help us. When we did that and made them aware, it was very complex because the rating system is very complex. Um, when we did that and challenged them and, and made them aware of it, our numbers skyrocketed because mm-hmm. then we started getting a fair share of the market. Okay, and a fair share of the market meant we got a fair share of the revenue. That was at WDAO. Like I said, we went from like five hundred thousand dollars to five million. That's a big jump in in, in a five year period. That's a big jump. And so at WCSU, Mike, we didn't play the ratings game per se. I mean, I st- I'm still aggressive. It's, it's in my blood. So yeah, well, you, but you're not going to get uh, that that kind of ratings with a thousand watt FM station. On a college campus, but still the mentality is there, you sure. know, for me. Sure. Sure. So I, how are you going to apply what you learned uh, to your new venture, WTRK? Well, it works the same way. Um, I work hard. I'm a one man band. I work hard. 
And one you have, of the, the, you have these college interns working for you too, though. Well, not really. They want to do their own thing. They, you know, they want to create their own little radio station, campus radio station. I let them do that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not a problem. Um, but I tell so I tell everyone, Mike, if you're doing something right, mm-hmm. and you're doing it consistently, mm-hmm. it's like a field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. I have the same belief. Yeah, I have a good program. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm consistent with the program. Right. And people are telling me that they're listening. The thing of it is, is we are a little bit more advanced and have been in technology than the average person because it's Internet radio. Mm-hmm. And, and if you recall, you've been around long enough to see the transition from AM radio to FM radio, from the big 8-track carts to cassettes to CDs. And so on. So you, you've seen those transitions. Oh, yeah. Well, we've gone. We're going through that transition right now. And, you know, I'll, I'll confess this to you. You know, if it wasn't for this radio show, an internet radio show, I would not have gone out and bought an iPod right. uh, to play back the shows from the various uh, people that I want to follow on the internet. And now I sit in my car. The AM. FM radio doesn't play. The CDs don't play. Right. It's coming in off memory sticks or the iPod. And you saw when we were at our last meeting mm-hmm. what I'm using. I'm using my my telephone through a um, Bose Bluetooth system, speaker system, through the Internet, and I can listen to all my shows, all my music, your show, anywhere in the world. Now, again... It's going to take a few more years for people to start to link into that. Oh yeah, because it's new technology. Well, it's it, it's a it's a freedom. Exactly. Okay. Uh, kind of the uh, the household uh, DVR replacing the the, the videotape. Exactly. That's that probably exactly. took ten years. Exactly. Okay. And, the replacement cycle seems to be getting a little bit faster, but it's still measured in years. And it's just like anything, Mike, and you're a businessman. You know, you don't start a business and the next day start making money. It just doesn't work like that. You have to be consistent. You have to have a good product, Mm -hmm. okay? And I think you have to have a great product in this marketplace. Great product, exactly. The market is getting tougher, not easier. So, you know, and your radio station runs 24 hours a day? Seven days a week. Okay. And... If someone wants to listen to it, how do they do that? It's very simple. They can Google WTRK, whatever your server is, uh, Yahoo, Google, whatever it is, punch in WTRK. The link will come on. Press the link. It'll take you to my web page, and it says WTRK. Click onto that, and it takes you right to the radio station automatically. Now, if someone wants to contact you after the show, how do they do that, Dirk? Several ways. 937-623-2793. 937-623-2793, 24 hours a day, or either on my email address, logancommunications at yahoo.com. Please make sure you put an S on communications. If you don't put that S on communications, it'll bounce back. So many people just put Logan Communication, and then it bounces back. So Logan Communications is one word at yahoo.com, and um, I, you know I want the listeners to listen to us, and then let me know what you think. Drop me an email and let me know. Call me and let me know. I want to be critiqued. 
I want I want you to tell me what you think, because that way I can only become better if you tell me what you like and what you don't like. Yeah, feedback is an important feature. Sure, it is. And uh, in in your in your world, uh, are you going to be adding stations to your uh, repertoire? Or just going to stay with this one TRK? I, I had a vision coming down here, Mike. And a lot of times, a lot of times, my visions become reality. Remember, my my book is Reality with Fantasy. Right. And and my vision was I had somebody invest a hundred thousand dollars in Logan Communications. Mm-hmm. And, and and as a result, I set up five more radio stations, Internet stations. <laughs> so you ask the question, and you're right on point. Yes, I, I, I would like to do that at some point in time. But we want to start with WTRK, get that in a foundation, get that set up, get that running, get that generating revenue. Generating revenue. Generating revenue. Yeah. That's you important. have a business plan? Oh, yeah. I, we I d- develop a business plan. I'm certified by the state of Ohio. Uh, I'm a veteran-owned business as well. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I have all the credentials that I need for for Logan Communication, and um, yes, we do have a business plan that we that, that a model that I follow. So yes, and that's well, part, so. If you part. have a hundred thousand dollars and you want to invest in in Turks Radio Station Empire there over the internet, <laughs> yeah, because that's the wave of the future. Oh, I think. And, and and the good thing, and I'll say this, and, and you know, because I, I know we're getting close on time, but this is important. What I'm getting ready to say, you can put an internet radio station together with license, because I have a license. I pay BMI and ASCAP to play. Okay, and also the computer, the sound system, with the exception of the music, because that's going to be another area mm-hmm. for less than five thousand dollars. So right now, and the good news is, it's not regulated by the federal government. So the FCC is not involved yet. And I hope they never do. And I hope they never do. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, good value there, a good lot of possibilities on the front end, though it's subject to change. Turk, I want to thank you for uh, visiting with us today and an appreciation for for visiting with us. I'm going to give you a copy of one of our Sandler books. Thank 49 you. Sandler Rules. Okay. This Thank is you. A, this is a book that uh, we brought out about a year and a half ago, hit number one on the Amazon chart and number uh, three on the Wall Street Journal chart for about six. Again, thanks for visiting with us today, Turk. And uh, Scott, uh, why don't you uh, take it away? Thanks for listening. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at Mike Roth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513 753 Nine four zero zero.